This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their characters are at the table. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to the Compendium. We are actually finishing out the tiny little list of half-casters in this episode as we delve into the class of the Paladins in the Player's Handbook. Um, this one I'm excited to cover because I personally, in my mind, get it confused a lot with clerics, even though they are kind of fundamentally different in a lot of ways. For some reason, my brain is like, clerics and paladins are pretty much the same. One of them just can go poke, poke, stab, stab, but that's not entirely true. So we are going go, to break down they paladins. Go, <laughs> they go poke, poke, stab, smite, stab smite. With, <laughs> with divine fury. Um, they don't want to convert you. They want to kill you um, if you're evil. Jack, put that on a shirt. Um, mm. Actually, you could. So yeah, put that on a shirt. Yeah. Um, let me just make a note here real quick. One second. All right. Cool. <laughs> Coming soon to thecriticaldice.com. No. Uh, anyways, back oh, on joke. track. It could happen. Paladins. Uh, <laughs> We are talking about paladins, um, and I'm, yes. I'm very excited. I feel like they also have some cliches, but I feel like their cliches are actually a little bit more accurate, that mm -hmm. that what people think about them is, is pretty much how you're going to see them played for, for some different reasons. Um, so let's dive into not only the class, but also what fits it into this little category of half-casters, of which there are so few classes that kind of... Yeah. Classify, for lack of a better word. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we've talked about this before uh, a lot of different places about how everything kind of splits off into martial and magical, and then magical is divided again into arcane and divine. Um, and inside of the magical, there are two classes that are slightly more martial versions of that uh, magical side. And then the divine side, you have two of them. You have the slightly more martial um like nature magic person which is the ranger which we talked about last time and here we have the slightly more martial version of the kind of like religious divine side um which is the paladin uh so it does make a lot of sense as to why they're the half casters and uh just to kind of give you a top level why they're kind of considered half casters is because they typically don't get cantrips and they uh, have fewer spell slots and they have a cap of fifth level spells and they typically also don't get their magic until a little bit later on whereas of any of the full caster classes whether it's cleric or bard or wizard are going to have cantrips and spells uh to cast at first level right off the bat right um i mean you're the, the key thing with paladins is that their martial abilities are kind of the focal point, right? So they're people that are really, really powerful fighters that augment their fighting style with this kind of special magic that they can either imbue into their attacks or just outright cast, depending on the situation. But the fighting is is what you're paying attention to. It's, it's the swords, it's, you know, the armor. It's not like... Uh, wizards where you're you know their their primary source of engaging in combat is literally standing on the sidelines and casting and they're squishy like this is kind yes. of built to be a tank that just packs an extra punch 
Yeah, and more so than a tank even, they're kind of built to be strikers um, where they're going to do, you know, to kind of borrow a terminology from our conversation with Keith Alman, uh, and the monsters know what they're doing is that, yeah, they have great AC, they have great hit points, but what they're known for is doing just a ton of damage in one quick shot to where the foe might just not make it to a second round, um, which interestingly enough is very similar to how rogues do damage. They just don't stay in the front line to do it. So yeah, so uh, they're pretty good tanks and they're great strikers that just are going to let off all of that pent up anger that is religious based, uh, <laughs> unlike the emotional basis of the barbarians. So yeah, it's uh, they're a lot of fun. And let's to your point too about how the martial is kind of what is what they're known for and their kind of fighting prowess. It's interesting because they are known for their fighting prowess, but because of their magical bend. Yes, yeah, so um, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It really is. And I mean, to, to just kind of jump into it, even in the description, it says that um, I had it right here, um, that even though they're known for their fighting stuff, um, let me see here. Um, man, where is it? I just, just saw it. Uh Okay, even so, their martial skills are secondary to the magical power they wield, the power to heal the sick and injured, to smite the wicked and the undead, and to protect the innocent and those who join them in their fight for justice. So even uh, the kind of like layout of what this archetype is, they even try to minimize the martial skills, but yet then they talk about all the things that they can do, magically speaking, that helps them with their martial skills. So they're, they're, you're right, there is a kind of a chicken egg, um, maybe even to better define it, it's they're so intertwined, it would be uh, perhaps a fool's errand or even unnecessary to try to separate them out. Uh, that's kind of the way I think about it because right. they are really one in the same in a way. So we have not gotten into casters yet, and clerics fall into casters. Mm -hmm. um, so we haven't really talked about them much, but I do really want to unpack the difference between a paladin and a cleric, because again, clerics, that's their thing. They go out and they heal people and they channel their energy from the gods. And like, there's so many crossovers that it, 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 it blurs the line a lot about like, well, wait a minute, what makes these different? Why are these different? And so I want to talk about the difference to start off between paladins and clerics, but I also want to explore a little bit of the difference of the source of magic, because yeah. that comes into that conversation of clerics versus paladins. It's not the same, but it's a nuanced version of a similar thing. So let's define that because I still to this day have a hard time parsing those apart in my brain. So I'm guessing that our listeners might have some of the same questions. Absolutely. And so, I mean, if you think about it in game, you could absolutely come across a religious order or a temple, which would have both clerics and paladins working for that same temple, that same order, or that same God. But the way that they are different is, is really their approach and the source of their divine magic. A cleric come, their power their magical power comes from their devotion to their god. A paladin's divine power comes from their devotion to their oath itself, to the concept of justice and or righteousness itself. And so 
it even says here in that same kind of paragraph I was reading is that although many paladins are devoted to gods of good, a paladin's power comes from uh, comes as much from a commitment to justice itself, the ideal, the idea, as it does from a god. And so that's where the big difference in schism comes is that you could technically have an atheistic paladin who would still have access to divine gifts because they are devoted to the concept of justice, the principles of justice and a righteousness. And they happen to also align themselves with other people who are devoted to that concept just through religious means. Right. It's not super common, but it even harkens back to earlier editions in the game where they even called out that a paladin or a cleric could be devoted to a concept as opposed to the God itself. And here in fifth edition, they really kind of, you know, refine that idea so that paladins are, their power comes from the commitment to the concept, to the ideal, and not necessarily the God who embodies that ideal. Right. And I think that's an important distinction because there is the opportunity, like in a storytelling sense, that mm -hmm. let's say that that cleric and that paladin are part of the same order. Um, mm -hmm. And the the god that, that is, you know, overseeing that order, however you want to put that above it, sure. um, issues this commandment to the cleric saying, hey, you need to go and wipe out this village. They've committed unspeakable acts against me, blah, blah, blah. But then the paladin at that point, if they're lawful, if they're looking at doing justice, there's innocent people there, mm -hmm. right? So even so this, even though this God, this deity said, this is what you need to do on my behalf, the cleric would then have to follow orders because that's, that's what they do. That's their class. Right. Whereas the paladin might separate and be like, no, we're not doing that because that is not following what is true and just because there are innocent people there. There might be travelers there. We can't just slaughter an entire city because some of them offended you. Um, and so I think that's a good breaking point to distinguish the like it, alignment a little bit. Yeah, it really is. And I like how you kind of uh, almost flip the script a little bit because most of the time people think of like, oh, destroying a whole town. Yeah, that's a, that's a paladin for sure. But you're right because if it goes against their oath, it goes against their kind of internal code, they're not going to do it. Whereas a cleric, it comes down to their God and the kind of canonized or dogma of teachings of that God. And so while there is a wide swath of where those two different codes could overlap, it's not a perfect circle. There are lots of places where that might might diverge and cause different goals and different perspectives on a particular problem. I did come up with what I think is probably a really good example of a paladin um, before we, we jumped onto our recording, which was uh, the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword from Indiana Jones and oh. the, the Holy Grail, because yeah. it's a brotherhood that's devoted to doing violence for the sake of protecting this object that cannot fall into the wrong hands. And even yeah. even the knight that guards the the Holy Grail in the film, I feel like that also falls into the category in its essence of a, of a paladin because they're doing what's just, I don't know. I just, I was like, I feel like yeah. that could align pretty well with that concept of a paladin for like a fictional example. I, I love that actually, yeah, because those that, that order, while there's religious overtones, they don't strike me as particularly religious they are very much a militaristic uh, group that has a specific goal that's a subset 
of a larger faith system, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's beautiful. That's perfect, Casey. Um, I like that very much. I, I think if you look at history or perhaps if we go into fiction as well, um, another good example might be like Joan of Arc uh, could be a good idea because she's a martial character, a leader, a fighter primarily who, according to history, had some you know divine things going on. But a lot of time, the established church at the time did not like her. Um, they had very different codes Mm -hmm. so that might she also might be a warlock I don't know Uh, (laughs) I I was talking to my wife yeah I was having this conversation with my wife who is not a D&D player about this very thing yesterday and anyway but so I've been thinking about Joan of Arc lately Um, but yeah so she might be a good example of a historical paladin that also might do a good job of highlighting the differences between clerics and paladins uh, can you think of any other from fiction uh, other than the, the Indiana Jones uh, concept? Oh, gosh, offhand. I don't know. Like I said, I struggle with this concept to begin with. So when I had that idea of the the Indiana Jones one, I was like, ah, my brain can comprehend this concept now. Um, yeah. I kind because... of feel, I mean, it doesn't fit perfectly because I do feel like he's more of a ranger. But going back to our conversation of the Witcher, it's the same kind of thing. Like I'm out there to hunt the monsters. You know, I will I will do it for good people or bad people because the thing I am hunting is worse mm-hmm. than you know the bad people or kind of again that concept of overarching justice that's above themselves. Yeah, I, I think also perhaps there could be argument made for most of Arthur's Knights of the Round Table, mm-hmm. while they are quasi-religious, questing for the Holy Grail to go to the Monty Python movie, but also other things, they work off of a code. That code happens to also align with a lot of the ideals of the religions of the time, but they live by that code and they were very martially oriented and which makes, you know, Lancelot's betrayal all that worse. Um, It wasn't because he was violating sacred religious texts, but he was violating the code and the ethic of what it meant to be a knight of the round table so i think mandalorians perhaps, oh absolutely Talking there you about go codes that's I was it like, oh, yes. codes, yeah i'm hearing yeah. absolutely the mandalorian the way expect, yeah this is the way that's the code right um and if you're not watching boba fett there's a whole episode of boba fett that's not an episode of boba fett it's just a secret episode of the mandalorian which deals with what happens when you break the code it's really great yeah mandalorian is a great example we should have hit that at the beginning <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week on The Compendium, where we are talking about all things D&D, helping you spend less time learning and more time actually playing. This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only confidence coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their D&D characters are at the game table. If you're intrigued, click the link in our show notes to take a free online quiz that will stat you as a level one D&D character in real life. New episodes of the Compendium do come out twice a week, so make sure you subscribe so you're the first to be notified every time new content is published. The Compendium also has a Patreon, so if you like what we do, please consider contributing to our Patreon account for as little as $2 a month, and in doing so, get yourself early access to all of the episodes. Thanks so much for listening in, and we will see you guys next time.